Hey everybody, on episode 20 of the Makers Podcast, we talk about 3D printer management. 3D printer management because the manager, Eric Ardini, myself, is on the show. Come join us. Hello, Podnutians. Welcome to The Makers, episode 20, the first show of 2018. This is a show all about building, breaking, learning, uh, soldering, maybe someday, uh, screwing things together, breaking things apart, doing our best to learn all along. Uh, my name is Door to Door Geek. I'm a complete noob with all this stuff, even though I've had a printer now for about five months. Uh, we're joined by people, uh, some of them much more educated than I on the subject, some just as noob as I, uh, we try to focus all conversations for the beginners yet put enough information for the experts, maybe to learn a thing or two. Uh, tonight we're joined by Brett. How's everything going, man? Everything's good. Uh, just, uh, I don't know which category I spit in still. So I'm kind of in the middle. Well, because just because you built your FT five from scratch, you can't be a complete noob. Yeah, I guess you got a point, but you know, yeah, you got a point. And, like, you build cars and stuff, so that has to count for something. Yeah, well, they don't last long, apparently, so, but uh, I do build some. Gotcha, gotcha. Did you do any uh, building, breaking, or learning this week? Um, building, I worked on, actually, my car, which has uh, been a new little project. But, yeah, I've been doing a bunch of different things, the arcade stuff. Uh, no 3D printing lately, but... Uh, but other than that, been doing everything else I can. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, we're also joined this week by Aaron. How's everything going, man? Did you do any uh, building, breaking, or learning? Uh, yeah, going pretty well. Uh, did a lot actually. Um, building, you know, I, I uh, got uh, some upgrades over uh, Christmas. Uh, some uh, nice aluminum upgrades. Broke a bunch of like my. Uh, FT5, Liam helped me fix that. I think I'm up and going again. Um, got a couple new, got a new printer for the holidays, or I didn't, my boy did. And uh, trying to uh, get done with a bunch of uh, bunch of must-tos uh, 3D prints that I've had uh, laying around that need to get done. A bunch of projects. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, can I ask, uh, are, did any of those prints you think turn out especially good? Um, yeah, so far, I mean, I've got uh, part of your, uh, uh, what is it, Labyrinth box uh, printing right now, and this was the first print, and it turned out really nice so far, so I just got to start cranking up uh, the speed on it, but uh, yeah, that's about it. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so this is the, I, I don't want to say small one, but this one you could probably fit like uh, almost a full pencil length in. And the width, I'm going to say, because it's a cylinder, um, I don't know what to describe it as, but you could fit like 10 pencils in it. Uh, you could, uh, it's actually perfect for the size of some uh, lifesavers. Thank you for saving me there, Aaron. Uh that, that, that's cool. And I will say, I did find Josh, not quite tech, shot me a link to one of those labyrinths, but it was called something like um, for a blind person or something. And it looked gigantic. It looked like the kind of thing it would literally take me an hour plus to figure out and just, you know, get it going the first time. So I'm going to try to see if I can print that one too. Um, 
We're also joined this week by um, Chad. How's everything going, man? Did you do any building, breaking, or learning? Because we're not hearing anything. Okay, we're going to come back to see if Chad uh, gets straightened out. Uh, we're also joined by the manager, Eric R. Eric R. Um, R. Dini. How are you doing, man? Good. Hey, thanks for having me on the Makers. Um, I was gifted by uh, some friends a Creality Ender 2, which is kind of a, a small, uh, smaller 3D printer, but it comes fairly assembled. Um, so I got it together in about one night. I, uh, as far as learning, I learned how to put it together and I learned, uh, from Aaron, actually, thank you, Aaron, for giving me some settings because my first prints were a little crazy looking. And, um, yeah, I'll talk about it a little bit more later, but, uh, it, it's up and running and working good and, um, super, so much nicer products come off of it than I had ever imagined. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I couldn't remember if we had you on a show or not yet. Um, I will say. My personal belief, because I'm starting to try to do my best to differentiate between facts and beliefs. My, my personal belief is you, like me, came into this with a group of people around that I believe accelerated the very beginning to get acceptable prints in a very, very quick fashion. And I will say you kind of went ballistic printing stuff and you made a couple of functional things. Like one of the first things you printed off was actually a phone case for your... um. Google Pixel 2, correct? Yeah, and that same case that I made, it's just a bumper case because I couldn't find one for less than 30 bucks. It is still on there, um, still functioning. One little part uh, broke off that was a thin part, but it still works just fine without it, and I've learned to adapt without that extra piece on there. But, uh, yeah, it's holding up good. Actually, the first print, um, I was inspired by listening to one of the shows, and, I, and I'm uh, not the very first print, but the first large print I made was... Uh, uh, lithophane um, and and it turned out wonderful and uh, so I ended up making um, another one right after that and then uh, figured out a way to light it and uh, gave it gave one of them as a Christmas present that's awesome yeah the uh, lithophane I think is right now a really hot item to print um, I love the fact that you basically take any picture to the website click a button bang you have your file outputted and you're ready to roll um, all you got to do is make a little custom like nightlight enclosure for it, and you have yourself a custom solution there that is truly unique. There are certain things that cannot be sold on Amazon, for instance, and this is the kind of thing I think that fits that niche perfectly. Um, overall, how satisfied would you say you are with this, and how much do you see yourself using it in the future? Uh, I'll use it a lot. Hey, did you introduce Liam yet, though? No, because he's oh, we're still later. talking to me. Oh, okay. I, just, I didn't want to take up all the. And what time. about Jonas? Do you, he doesn't count. Everybody, well, okay. That's. I'm not used. To, I, I don't want to be, you know, like button in and never get invited You're back the new. again. Right, we okay. give you all the upfront. We talk talking to. Then after the first show, we never talk to you again. Okay. Well, all right. All right. At least my expectations will be set. So actually, right now, um, I am I'm installing um, a touch UI on Octopi. I, I have not used this printer with Octopi yet. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll help uh, increase my productivity on it when I don't have to be right in front of it using the, the, the dial that's on the Ender 2 is a little, mm, you know, it's a little touchy, you know, as far as hitting the right things you want when you're moving um, your cursor through the SD card files and things like that. And, and just the idea of, of not having to insert the SD card every time and, and wearing out that, that piece of the of the thing, um, so I'm looking forward. That's that's a whole new um, 
you know, area, I guess, new interface that I'm going to learn. And uh, I've already, print, I, I just 3, 3D printed a case and stand for the, for the Raspberry Pi with the touchscreen on it. And uh, I've got it in a couple pieces here that uh, just snap around the, the, the Pi once I, once I get the uh, software all installed and it's up and ready and everything. And so that this will be mounted next to, next to the, uh, the Ender too. So no, I, I've I've got I've got a few things up my sleeve. I have not ran out of uh, creative ideas yet. And then if you just go on Thingiverse, there's tons of things you're bound to. You know, if you look at it for more than ten minutes and you, know, you haven't found something that you want to print, um, you're not looking, you know, with an open mind at all. I guess. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, last quick question: uh, What what designing software are you using, if any, and what is your uh, slicer that you're currently using? Okay, the slicer is Cura. Um, I'm using the newest version of that, and it's working perfectly for me. Um, I, I really enjoy using that. There was a couple issues that Liam actually helped me get through where uh, I was wanting to print two two items at the same time, and it wasn't letting me space them on there. And then I realized that I still had a skirt, which is uh, like an outer, um, it's like an outer cleaning your head kind of uh, outline before it starts the real print. So once I took that off, it gave me the room to, to print two items. Um, for designing software, I'm using um, the three, Fusion 360, uh, which is, is not an easy, not, not a very user-friendly um, thing. I, I've, I, I knew AutoCAD a long time ago. Um, I've, I've got a certificate in AutoCAD, but that was years ago. So I'm coming from that background. I would thought that it would be easier for me to catch on with this, but it's it's really been kind of a bear. So a couple of the times I just went ahead and used Tinkercad to get things done, which being basic, but I, I, I can find that I can get things done a little easier. Certain things, I will definitely get back to 360 um, if I'm doing anything more than these basic squares. But I, I did 3D print a, uh, a shadow box um, right here that, I, I had to use I had to use uh, Tinkercad because I just could not get these squares done, um, cut out, extruded right, you know, just anything in in three sixty for some reason. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, hopefully time will fix that if you keep banging on that. I think I'll get it. Um, hey, Chad, is your audio up and running? Well, let's give it a shot. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. But uh, <laughs> sorry about that, guys. So how the hell are you doing, man? You've uh, I know been. Uh, well, you you were really, really, really busy going up into the holiday. Um, has that slowed down at all, or are you still like full blast? Well, it slowed down, but not really. It went in a different way. Um, me and my brother own a bar, and we're adding a kitchen onto it, and the the quality of the work the plumber was doing just wasn't up to snuff. He was cutting a lot of corners. I worked for a plumber for a few years, and... So we kicked him off the job site, and uh, I had to finish it up. So that took over my last week and a half, two weeks of stuff, and um, haven't been able to do any real creative stuff, but did talk to a guy about getting some stuff licensed through some stuff and actually be able to advertise and sell some stuff through a store. And, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. But that's one of those things where I want to make it perfect and repeatable, you know, um, that, oh, this is good enough. It just ain't going to work if I'm going to have it in a store. So that's kind of what I've been going through. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, um, the good news to me then is the word licensed also to me equates to you can charge more money. Right, and I can advertise. It's, it's you know, right now I was making a few of them just kind of testing out how the print or how the – 
machine was working and if I could maintain a quality and stuff, but I showed it to a guy that owns a store and he's licensed through the college to sell stuff, their logo, their uh, licensed logo stuff. So he's, we're going to work together and get it so I can start producing these legally and whatnot. And that's the important thing is, you know, being able to sell them without having to be worried about getting shut down, <laughs> you know? Right, right. Well, that's very cool. I wish nothing but luck, and I'm pretty sure that once you get that license, you're going to be slammed busy again on the good side. Now, he just contacted me, sent me in a, a text today. He's like, he's got uh, seven people that haven't even seen him but want one just because they, they've seen a picture of it. That's it, you know? So... That's without any advertising. He just kind of mentioned it to somebody, and they're like, oh, get me one. I want to be first on the list, you know? So that's cool. That's cool to have your stuff in demand before you even can sell it, you know? Right. Very cool. Uh, we're also joined by um, by um, Jonas. Hey, hey, man. Have you done any uh, building, breaking, or learning? I've done a bit of all. Over the uh, holidays, I was working on some trees for Christmas and uh, learned a little bit about about auto cooling when making those trees and then also um, got into a little bit into the uh, internet of things very cool yeah the trees look like it used the same technique as the uh, roctopus I want to say it was called where it like threads things out to where if your cooling is too good I think like Liam found out then it almost ruins the print you gotta let the um, print basically air print and then drop filament so it slowly cools exactly very cool very cool uh can we get some pictures of uh those trees in the notes for the list yeah there's there's some links there and then there's also a video a couple of videos of uh the trees being printed very cool very cool so i ran a couple of um ones using the the bamboo pla filament and the idea there was if you go to um i don't know macy's or michael's or Target or whatever your local store is that has candle stuff, you can get those scent wick sticks that you put in oil, and uh, you can take that oil and drip it on the bamboo PLA filament, and it'll aerate just like it was on those sticks. So you can take the cedar smell, drip it on your bamboo tree, and have that as your scent thing in your room instead of the little bottle of sticks, which doesn't look great. Very cool. Yeah, I do like the idea of uh, being able to print these things, but having like a dual purpose to where it can also help scent the room. I know the wife loves buying scented this or scented that for any kind of room, so that's a very good idea. Yeah, my grandmother used to have a basket somewhere, and every once in a while she'd drip some kind of flower oil stuff on it, and that would be the, the house scent. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, we're also joined by... Liam, hey, hey, Liam, have you done any uh, building, breaking, or learning in the last couple weeks? I've done a little bit here and there. Um, nothing really of consequence. I whipped up a uh, headphone hanger yesterday. Got tired of the headphones hanging out on one of those uh, desk hangers. I, I just It was in the way. I didn't like it. So I made one that clamped to the, the tube that supports the wall at the office. Made a couple of them, actually. That was kind of nice to dip the feet back into the printing and designing. Uh, I just haven't done a lot of printing this year. Um, done some painting and a little bit of carving of foam, but just not a ton of making so far this year. What's uh, what's Door to Door Geek been working on? 
Oh, well, I'll first say I love the idea of the headphone hanger, but to me, they take up way too much square footage or cube footage on my, um, on my, on my desk. I don't know who has enough free room to put that on there and not be a nuisance. I love the idea of hanging them someplace off to the side where they're literally not taking up any uh, space. And I do have literally a tube right in front of me where my multi monitor mount goes. So when you, when you showed us that, I thought I might actually be able to use that. Um, breaking, no breaking, but I will say I got really close. I uh, tried to print four of these IKEA lack stacking uh, pieces. Um, the the fatal flaw I made though, I already put the table together. Okay, so I put the table together, printed these off, blah blah. blah. Then I go and I take the table and I try to take it apart, and I take the leg off. And the bolt is still sticking out of the wood, and I cannot fit this on with the bolt sticking on the wood. So then I took a pair of pliers and tried to unscrew the bolt, because all the bolt is for the lac table, it's two threaded parts with a solid piece in the middle, and you screw one in by hand. Then as you screw the leg on, they like both tighten up. I could not get the bolt out of the wood without basically almost ruining the bolt. So I immediately stopped, put the leg back on. So now I have four of these waiting to be put onto a table and I do have a table in my hallway here not put together yet. So I'm going to take that table as I'm putting it together, put these stackers on and see how they work. Um they look simple enough. I don't expect any failure. The only thing that happened is there was a little bit of curl up on one of the corners. Uh and all, basically after the first print all I did was put an a little bit of extra glue on that corner and then all the rest stuck just fine. Um I went Ballistic printing every bit of 30 of the Optimus Prime joints, not Optimus Prime, Megatron joints between his um, uh, uh, collarbone up top part and his head. Every time I got the piece to correctly fit inside of his abdomen or chest, and then the circle joint would fit nice, and then the part to go up in his head was wouldn't fit. So then I, there was two different joints. So then I kept trying the other one. And then when I could get that to fit up into his head, the ball joint fit and then it wouldn't fit down his abdomen. So I decided to take a timeout and just take a break. Um, what I'm going to end up doing is um, having to try to design my own. And my son made ball joints for his case spot and for his robot and his robot that he uh, had for his son so i know it's all possible in a tool as simple as tinkercad so i'm going to literally sit him down and have him make them in front of me so i can see how he's making them and we can do a project together is logic but i needed to just walk away from megatron for a couple of days because it was really getting me upset could you uh take a piece of hose and you know, make a little buffer between your pliers and the and the screw or something, maybe? Uh, a piece of, like, rubber or something, yes, might make it easier because every time I tried to use uh, the channel locks, the vice grip, the pliers, any one of them, it just, if I squeezed too hard, I would see the threads actually start to crush. And so that wasn't good. So I might try that. But also, like um, I think Liam said, machine thread on one end, wood screw on the other. Um, so basically I'm saying, I'm thinking you're saying like basically design my own bolt, ruin that bolt and design my own. No, I was asking what kind of, um, bolt it had on it. Cause oftentimes on these, um, types of furniture, the, 
it it's both. It has a machine screw on one end that threads into a pre-setup um, piece, and then the other end is wood screw that goes into like the finished leg. And if you have access on the piece you're trying to extract a machine screw, you can take a pair of nuts that fit it, screw them down, and lock them against each other, and then use those to back the uh, the screw out. That actually does make a lot of sense. I will say, I believe in the lack table, both sides of the screw are exactly the same. Yeah, both sides on the lack table. I just put one together the other day, and yeah, they're both uh, wood screws on either side. Ah, uh, it's a bummer. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be worse. It's a seven-dollar lack table. It's not that big of a deal. Right. But now, could you try cutting a slot in the the piece that you printed and slip it on? that i mean you're going to tighten it up it should hold you just cut a a slot so you can just slide it on you wouldn't even have to you know true just just cut cut it so you can just squeeze it on and then once you tighten it up one little cut down it and then you just slide it around it and when you tighten it up it'll be just fine i'm uh i'm a little confused don't you need a completed lock table to put on top of the other one? Oh, i got two here two in my garage and one not put two um two um two um gather yet and the two right here next to me are are already stacked one on top of another but the top one is literally just sitting on that table and twice my youngest one came down and accidentally bumped it and knocked everything on the floor well what i'm saying is you don't need to take apart a lack table you just need to put together the the other one with it already in there and then then you already have a lack table that's already pre-put together right um, technically, yes, my OCD might get itchy because both of these tables are black and that table in the hallway is white. So, Oh, never mind. Never mind. I understand. <laughs> yeah, so I, I might end up stopping by Ikea buying another black one. Um, the logic was I the black one's back here, the white one's in the garage, and I want to have an extra lack table to have two side-by-side, the printer on one, and uh, the table next to it have the control box, and above that table stack another one and have the filament come basically through that table is the, the at least logic I'm thinking that might work. So, I mean, I've done a little bit. I've not been close to as busy as I would like to be holiday, just like everybody else. You know, dead busy, ridiculous. Uh, family, extended family, work. Uh, has just been a little bit off the hook. I will say um, we have, uh, as a group, played D&D also, which has also spurred the uh, our inner community about uh, looking for good D&D-type things to print. Among them, uh, dice towers seem to be the one thing that we've had uh, uh, lots of fun um, printing off. Uh, we've also found many, 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 many figurines and uh, smaller D&D things to print, which, to be honest, I think they just look awesome. It's, it's my logic. I, I can see printing them out, putting them on a table just because they look cool. And some of the detail that I'm at least finding on some of these things are, to me, almost insane how good they look. Um, so I've done a lot of browsing, is what I'll say, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, the uh, getting into the D&D and then the, the printing of the miniatures... That's what led me into the terrain building and getting back into painting, where I swore I never wanted to paint and always would print everything in the appropriate colors. Um, Painting terrain is one of those things where it doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, it looks better when it's all messed up, and uh, I enjoy that. Well, and I'll say, to me, there's a certain time 
when printing in the right color, I think fits what you're trying to print. But a lot of times, um, seeing what my son has done printing, sometimes I do think painting is the right way to do it because it, it because some things I think are meant to look like that. Um, he did a uh, Legend of Zelda mask for Halloween and it was completely painted. And even if we were able to break it down in individual colors and then glue them together, I don't think it would look this good. Yeah, you definitely get a much more cohesive look. You know, the smoothness smooth goes together and you get the colors you want and it looks like a single piece instead of something kind of hodgepodge together when you prime and paint. Yeah, and sometimes you want that shadowy texture or whatever that you can add when you paint. You want to add some wear or tear to it, you know. Um, that's, you know, if you're doing cartoon-style stuff, then maybe you want to, you know, dedicate color. But, you know, I think the texture painting is kind of cool. I was kind of looking around to see what kind of paint to get because I didn't really have any paint at all. I found I found somewhere they said to use acrylic, and it, it seems to be working pretty good. I, I painted the edges of uh, of this thing uh, with a flat black acrylic paint marker that I found off of. Amazon had like an assortment of acrylic paint markers, which made it easy for me, so I didn't have to buy brushes and get messy or anything. Yeah, for sure, acrylic's the way to go. Gotcha, gotcha. And um, the one thing I'll say is... um. Well, the Megatron literally made me quite upset. Um, I'm guessing it's a me issue. I will say Liam did suggest I build them on a raft uh, because the points that were going into the models were facing down on my print bed. And I was getting a little bit of elephant footing, I believe it's called. And if you think about it, when you look at an elephant's foot, the bottom of his foot always is a little bit bigger, wider, or at least in my mind it is. Um and it turns out that was happening at least a little bit. So by printing it on a raft, I was able to, ba to basically like cushion the print. So it was printing on top of filament. I got much less elephant footing altogether. Um, I will have a link in the notes uh, to a Optimus Prime print as well. That one is on Cults 3D. The Megatron is on Thingiverse. And I'm hoping that the Megatron or the uh, Optimus Prime <laughs> print would print better is what i'm going to say um but i first want to um just take a little bit of break away from uh figurines or gigantic action figures if you will and see if i can um, come back to it and do it right and then once i get megatron all done i'm going to start to work towards the optimus prime just because you know everybody wants to live part of their youth back uh some people want spongebob some people want nintendo i would really like some Transformers, and then after that, maybe a Voltron if it's not too complicated. Um, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, uh, Eric, uh, but since you're the new person here, what I will ask you is, is there any questions that you had that you would like to ask uh, either publicly or um, ones that you asked before that you thought made for great answers um, in the, in the realm of beginning 3D printing? Uh, well, I'd say the, the question I have at, at this second right now, as I'm doing an Octopi install on my Raspberry Pi is, uh, where do I find the plugins, um, and, and things on Octopi? I, I did install the GUI. I don't know if that was a mistake, um, on Octopi. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, trying to think of what else did I issues. Uh, um, I, I do have, I still have a little bit of an issue with, um, circles. When I print out circles, 
uh, they'll sometimes not be perfectly round. So that might be a, a, some sort of a setting that you guys might know uh, when I'm looking. But I haven't, but I, honestly, I haven't played with anything to try to fix that. Um, and then also, I guess another question is when you guys uh, change your speed of your print, are you doing that by just, well, I, I personally, I spin the dial that's on my printer and it starts at 100. It's like a FR percent number on the printer interface itself. I just spin that dial up to 150 or 200. Um, what are the better ways or is that, or is that the way to, uh, to increase the speed? Or do you do that in your, in your slicer and program in the G code that it, uh, that it should go faster? Well, I mean, I'll answer one thing really quick because I actually know one of the answers. Um, Octoprint, you want the web GUI. Um, this is the way I do it. And then in the web GUI, you can go to the wrench and you can go settings and you can go plugins. The one caveat is never install plugins while you're doing a print because to complete the installation of a plugin, it wants to reboot. And if it happens in the middle of your print, print fail. So that's the first thing. Never play with your Octoprint when it's printing something just let it be so you take breaks you print stuff then you take a break and you just play with the octoprint when you're done with the octoprint playing then you go back to printing oh, okay yeah I, i've just got the I, I actually have a gui just my octopi is hooked into a hdmi to a monitor and i'm looking at the, the gui just through it itself i don't know if i've ever seen that gui have you guys it, it took a big install to get it yeah, I don't think no, I've ever I was going to ask you about that. I I want to do that because I don't want I want to use Octopi because I don't on my Delta that's all I use. But when I go to these shows, I'm not going to have my home network, you know. So I want to be able to just do it right there on the Octopi. It it gave me the option right when I installed, um, and I booted up for the first time. If and it did warn me, it says, "Hey, this is going to take up some system resources." that you may be stealing from your printer. So just, just know that before you do this. And then it was, it was, it downloaded quite a bit of stuff from some repository it looked like to install the GUI, but I don't have, uh, I don't really have settings. Um, like I was expecting, I do have, um, a couple settings in here, but they're like, uh, the preferences for appearance, audio, mouse and keyboard, and then open box configuration and screensaver. It's good. Good looking GUI though. It's got a nice, uh, road, uh, desktop background and stuff. It's kind of nice. Wait, and this this is a touchscreen setup. Well, I, I I haven't got to the touchscreen yet. This is just actually an HDMI output from my Raspberry Pi going to a monitor right now. Because I'm trying. Like there's I, a Touch UI plugin for Octoprint. Octoprint yeah, that, rather. That's what I'm trying to get to, but I can't get to the place where I can install. Um, plugins okay there should be a plugin manager so first oh off, yeah that's the wrench first off i'm really glad knucklehead tech is in here because he would call me an idiot i literally did not know that interface even existed eric okay so now what you got to do leave your raspberry pi up and running connect it to your network then through the web ui you'll be able to do all the plugins that you need to do but then you'll still be able to access the interface via the hdmi so you can have both interfaces running at once is what I'm going to say. And I actually, um, and, and my end game is to interface through the touchscreen that I've got connected to my Raspberry Pi. Well, both. So, yeah, both. Or, so, three, or all three. Yeah, so like when you're on your computer, you can upload files via the web interface, then walk up to the printer and do what you need to do. Yeah, and, and the touch UI that they have is very large buttons, you know, so it's not going to be like like I'm trying to do it on a on a Windows screen that's three and a half inches tall or anything like that. Make sure to send us links and share that. That's interesting. 
Yeah, um, sure, I'm well. a little curious about the uh, what screen are you putting it on? Um, it's the Pi TFT 3.5 inch from Adafruit. Okay, um, it okay. plugs right into the to the uh, interface on the top of the Pi. Yeah, that looks that sounds like a really good uh, thing for me to use the uh, the touchscreen that I have. I have been trying to find a use for it. So, okay, Eric, two questions. Well, uh, question: Can you um, put links to the screen uh, in the notes? And if you could, could you take at least one picture with your phone of that interface just so we can have it in our notes? And I'll and then I'll ask everyone else: What is your preferred way of handling? speed on your printing speed on mine i usually do uh feed rate but that's just me which is you know the percentage yeah i always do it in kira i i change my you know from 30 to 60 to 80 or what you know depending on what i'm doing how much i know that it's going to affect overhangs or whatever you know how much detail i want in the part do i want it to go real fast do i care about rippling you know there's different factors you gotta figure out and that's usually how i determine is right in kira and i slice it with it so it's got the correct stuff in g-code i always run it 100 percent on my printer you know i just leave that at 100 percent because i don't use a screen at all on my delta i do everything through octoprint so the thing that scared me about that is it had feed rate, and then I think there was another speed right below it, and I didn't know if I changed one if I needed to change the next one or if it would automatically, uh, you know, you know, figure that correct uh, value for the next speed. I'm not sure what it was, feed rate and something else. Okay, Hello. so you got infill. Well, it's also got infill speed rate, and you've got overall printer speed rate. So what when you change the overall one, that'll that'll change all of them to be a percentage of that. That'll be the max it'll print at. So you'll still have your nice clean walls or whatever. It'll be a percentage of that. It's like half or whatever for the, for your finished outside wall work. So you can do it either way, but you, let's say, you know, you want your infill even slower, you know, you can change that, but then you can keep your outer wall uh, speed. You can go in there and really fine tune it. So that's why I, that's why I use that. It's not just a all-in-one change of speed. I can change it for just that for the infill or for you can do you change it for supports. You can change it for whatever you're doing. So it's more granular, you know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought uh, Eric was talking about the interface on the ender. That's where he was seeing feed and flow. No, um, on the ender itself, it's just one. It says FR percent, and I just uh, I just crank it up with the dial. I was talking about on 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 Cura, but no, that's that's good to know because I when I did do um, crank it up on the ender itself, I did notice if I was going fast, sometimes the infill wouldn't connect to the outside wall, and I and it would uh, be be kind of weak in them spots, you know, when it wasn't connected to the infill. Well, and if you're having that problem, there is a setting in there too your overlap um i always crank that up to a, i think it's set factory on kira at like six percent or five percent or something like that and i i double it to ten percent so that it just gets a little better overlap and the infill sends to connect better um and then i do my wall overlap a little hot higher too because i like a nice solid connection between my print the layers you know well, that doesn't cause any issues with head hitting it though at when you after, when it goes in the next pass over 
No, I haven't seen any. It doesn't seem to bind up as long as you've got your feet, your flow rate, you know, your 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 flow multiplier set good. It'll it'll do the math on it, and it seems to do pretty good. When when you were talking about the infill, were you saying that it's stringy or that it's not connecting to the outer walls or both? Uh, yeah, it didn't really seem stringy. It was it was not connecting to the outer walls. In fact, while it was moving around, I was kind of I took a a screwdriver and kind of pushed on the wall as I saw the printhead going over it to see if I could make a connection just here and there, and hopefully it would correct itself. And I think I may have got it to do it a little bit. Gotcha. Because there is um, I don't know if it's a cure, but you can change the multiplier for just the infill and simplify. I guess I, that kind of leads me to another question since we're talking about infill. I'm doing lines now. Have you guys uh, found where triangles or some of the other infill um, types work better for you guys? I use that cubic, um, subdivided cubic is what I like. But I want to try, I still haven't tried it, but I want to try the uh, the triangle one. Or is that the cubic? Is that the one you're talking about with Cura? Yeah, it's where the, it's like a cube and it, it, it makes a cube inside there, so it's a, you're getting a lot of strength in there. But it's like you can. There's a good triangle one too. I I, I was not impressed with the way that the triangle one prints, but the cubic I really like. That I really that's really strong. It's for how much actual infill you're using. It's really strong. Yeah, that's uh, the one I, I'm excited for Simplify to bring over is the bicubic subdivision. It it's just it maximizes the efficiency of the infill. Infill's ultimately there just to support the walls. Um, most things I print anywhere from 7-15% infill, and then I rely on the, the number of walls to give it strength. Right, yeah. Now, I'll say this. Um, I think the absolute, if Eric's looking for a perfect answer, the answer is it depends. It depends on what you're printing, um, you know, how it's printing, what way is it facing when it's printing? Are you looking for strength in all directions or really only these two directions kind of thing? Um, and I will say what I've learned at least is in my slicer, I can um, like x-ray through an item and I can see how the infill is actually going to be inside of there. And what I find is sometimes going up or down 1% will actually cause what to I perceive to be a dramatic change in how it is, how the infill is interfacing where it intersects with the walls and the outside, which I think can be a great either help or hindrance to how much actual support and um, strength you're going to get with it. And you're looking at that in Cura? Yeah. Um, in Cura, I found when I do either supports or and infill, I can see how they're going to lay. Like I can tell you, when I did these legs, I was able to look inside here. And what I figured out was I don't need support through the whole thing. All I really need is every little bit, just something holding it up. So it makes this long bridge all the way out. And what I found was when I put it at exactly like 6.25%, there was a very minimal amount of support touching these inner walls. And there was only a little bit touching the top and bottom. So it made it very easy that once I pulled out the printer to just take my bare hand and just squeeze and pull out the support easily, where if it was touching too much on the sides of the walls, it would be a little bit hard to wrench off. Um, and in the, and in the, um, um, Megatron chest, what I found was when I changed the percentage just a little bit more, I had like twice as much contact with the top and bottom 
not only the sides when I did the cubic infill. So I'm a personal fan of playing it by ear. It's like, take a look at the inside, push it up a percentage, push it down a percentage, see how it interfaces with the walls of all kinds. Um, but I will say with Liam, I'm a real fan hovering around 7%. I rarely think I need anything more than that. Another yeah, uh, another quick tip when you're messing with infills and trying to arrange things to support that one problem spot. Um, instead of cranking the percentage up on the infill, you can take and rotate your model. And the infill layout stays the same. So if you know you need it. 10 degrees this direction, just rotate the model, re-slice, and you'll see that the infill is in the same relation to the bed where the model has rotated. Oh, that's I would never have guessed that. Yeah, that's good a good tip. And with infill, one of the biggest things I find that I generally stay, you know, that seven to ten, somewhere in there for infill, as low as I can go and still get the top of my part to print correctly. Because if you go real thin on your if you go like five percent and you got a big part and you've got a half inch between, you know, your cubics and it's got to stretch that. If you ain't got real good bridging capabilities on your printer, you may have what, you know, dropping or stringing, you know. So that's just, you'll get the hang of it. And it's, it's, it's play, it's, it's kind of like playing by touch, you know, it's just, you're going to, you're going to get the feel for it. You know, not have to worry about it. You'll just know what to do. Yeah, I have to check it. I, I I played with those views in there, but I never really could see what I was um gonna see for uh I I I must not have looked at it right. I didn't see the infill, and I also didn't see uh, supports. I was trying to print something with supports, and it didn't really show for me. Um, I might not have been been looking at the right spot though. And that's check boxes on there too. You got to hit those check boxes to get your infill to show in, get your supports to show and stuff. There's little check boxes on there. That's definitely why I didn't see it then. Thank you. I think it's, isn't it under the advanced user or something like that? No, he's talking on the view. It actually just comes oh, right yeah, up yeah. on the view when you put it into layers. There's check boxes below there. And they do that because it really, if you have everything showing, that can be a performance hog, you know? So, and with Kira, every time you move it just a little bit, it wants to recalibrate. It wants to re-slice, unless you shut that off and you you do that when you want to slice it. You can shut that off and slice it when you want to. So, yeah, and I believe I'm on the newest version. I'm not sure, but in the main window, Eric, top right, up by the name of your printer, there's a um, there's a um, drop down menu where you can see layer view x-ray view and a um and a um solid view solid view is to me just to get the print laid on the bed correctly x-ray view and layer view is where i can do like the actual investigation and see what's going on and there's where you can see your different um different um check boxes to either show the infill don't show the infill show the outer shell don't show the outer shell that's where i'm able to actually get an idea of how this is going to lay on the bed and not just how it's going to look when it's finished. Yeah. I'm i I'm going to have to play with that. What well, one thing I've, I've noticed in, in 3d printing when I, after I've done a few now is how did it take this long for us to get it? I mean, it, it seems now doing it now that I've, I've done it and the G code has been formed a couple times that the, it seems like something I've, I've been exposed to a long time ago. Um, 
in this this kind of coding, but it just now got here to a to a place where we can afford it, maybe I guess. And uh, uh, just a little update: my Octoprint just went to a screensaver. I think the main thing is the cost has come down of all the individual parts. So 10, 15 years ago, a stepper motor was probably four times as much. So all these little things have come together to uh, lower the price. And so now you can build these cheapo kits and really get some uh, performance for not a lot of money. Yeah, I'm impressed at the at the cost to, to value as, as a for for these printers to be under two hundred dollars and and what you can do with them and what you get out of it, it's 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 really really great thing and I can and I can see you know people have been talking about this for a while but I can see one of these in every house and especially it's I paid for two D printers you know like HP printers for years way more than than two hundred dollars each. Yeah, you uh, you know we just got my uh, son or my son just got uh, the ender too as well. And I am amazed from when back when Liam and I first started to today on what you get for your money, how easy it is to set up. And I mean, I was printing right out of the box, no issues. I mean, the only issue I have, and it's exactly what I was going to bring up to you, uh, this uh, here was, you were talking about circles. I noticed that I had tightened up the belts when I started, but then they came loose, or I didn't give them as tight as they should. So, retighten your belts on your bed and your arm um, on the ender there. Double check them, and retighten them, and then... Uh, Try uh, try a test cube or something, uh, and make sure your circles look good from there, because it's most likely something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. I you know I I have tightened up my belts once, but it's been a while. I mean, it was, it was like almost immediately after I ran it a couple times. One thing that is it's surprising me how well it works, though how sloppy it is, is the bed itself running on those wheels. The it's just like some rubber wheels rolling on ex, um, aluminum extrusion squares. And there's a lot of play in there, but it, you know, um, yeah, sometimes the bed moves quite a bit when it's printing, but it, it still comes out great. And that's, it seems like it should ha- be much tighter and still perform, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad it, I'm glad it is, uh, performing the way it is, as loose as it is. It's good. Some other things you can check are the grub screws on where the belt connects to the stepper motor. If one of those is a little bit loose, it will turn really quickly one way and then get loose at the end of that turn and then when it turns back the other way it tightens back up and it might be doing that a little bit I had that on an older printer before and um, I was getting ovals and I couldn't figure it out and it was my grip screw was loose from putting it together yeah good call yeah I'll check that out thanks very cool very cool and I will encourage you the listener if you have any questions you have three real options is what I'm going to say. You can send us a voicemail at 7076-PODNUT. Uh, you can send us an email at themakers at podnuts.com. Or, and you can join us live here for the show. Um, I will say any and all are welcome, but your audio has to not be horrible is what I want to say. You have to at least have moderately okay audio to be on the show. Uh, and we are willing to have as many people on as possible uh, on this uh, exact infrastructure. Uh, about seven years ago, we had 23 people on one show. So I don't think number of people would ever be an issue. Might be a little bit hard to manage and organize this show, but we could definitely have more people on the show. So if you want to be on, don't hesitate to contact us. Um, 
Eric, uh, as always, thanks for bringing the questions forward. Uh, anything we can help you with, do not hesitate because I ask them questions all the time. When I remember what I ask them, I bring it back to the show again, but I don't always remember. Um, here's my question, Liam. I bought the magnetic sheet and the pack of three um, bed, um, uh, what's the word? Build, um, build, um, build, um, a surface right now on my CR 10, it's still glass connected with those wretched binder clips, alligator clips. So I want to unroll the magnet and, uh, and attach the build service. Here's the question. I looked at it. I am a tool poor fella. So my question is, how do I cut the magnetic sheet? It can't just be scissors. It has to be like a razor knife or something, right? Razor blade. So yeah, either will work. I used both. Um, here is the important bit of information when you're doing I'm happy. this. I'm happy I asked the question before I tried it. <laughs> and I know because I tried it and found out the bad way. Um, I started out using the 8x11 sheets and just... I can piece those together, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, I can piece them together and get them to fit on there. Problem is... These magnetic sheets, they're strong one way, and they're ridiculously weak at 90 degrees to that. So what you want to do is you want to put a sheet down cleanly on either the build surface, or I mean the heated bed, or on your build tack sheet. And then you want to attach the other half of the magnetic sheet to it and make sure it's on there in the strong way. And then peel the back on backing off of it and attach it to the other piece, whether it's the heated bed or the build tack surface. That is the real trick to it. Okay, so what you're saying almost like the way I do a screen protector. I first lay everything out and I do like mock connecting it to the screen where I'm not. It's the the uh, protection is still on it, and I just lay everything out, make sure I know how it's going to look when it's on. Only in this case, I'm going to do test magnetism. Yeah. Basically, that sheet, after you get it flattened out, you're going to fold it directly in half down the long ways. And that's the correct orientation to get the maximum strength on it. Got it. Um, well, that and, actually makes perfect sense. And you'll notice as you lay it down on itself, it wants to lock into a position. It's, it's maybe a millimeter, half a millimeter, that it's going to jump back and forth one side or the other. Now, if you were to take one of those sheets and rotate it 90, it'll lock together, but it is ridiculously weak. Gotcha. Yeah, well, it, it makes sense because if you look at a magnet, a flat square magnet, you have four sides. Two sides are going to be basically half north, half south. And the other two sides, one will be complete north and one will be complete south. Now, if you take that and you cut them in half, so the strong sides are on the outside and you cut the two weak sides basically straight down it's going to be north south north south um so it makes sense that just flipping the one directly back should make it lock in as best possible and i fully understand the millimeter shift back and forth because it's the magnetic field it's never perfect it's always going to be a touch off and because i have a 12 by 12 bed i really don't care if the outer millimeter is not accessible to print on because I, I I I still haven't printed out that far on my bed. Partially because I feel safer leaving at least an inch exterior on my bed at all times. 
Yeah, I think the uh, I think the actual bed size is three ten by three ten because I cranked mine up in my slicer the other day to fit a print that didn't quite fit, and I thought, well, let's just roll with this and see how it goes, and it went fine. There was actually a little little bit of room to spare on it. Um, but yeah, on these uh, flat roll magnets, the sticky back ones, I think what they do is actually an alternating pattern on the uh, magnetism. Like if you were to get some magnetic viewing film you would see it looks far different than your standard refrigerator magnet. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I do know. Uh, I was watching a thing. I want to say it was on number file where they were looking at custom designing fields of magnets to cause crazy actions, reactions, and uh, crazy amounts of extra strength where in, normally in production there, there, there would never be. So I look forward to trying this. Um, Sunday should be a quiet day around the house. Uh, even though tomorrow I conned my wife into taking both kids out to lunch in a movie. So I might be able to do it actually tomorrow when there's some quiet time, because I do want to get it done. Um, I'm not having a problem printing on glass whatsoever, but I also know that there's little dips here and there and there's little raises here and there. Glass is not perfect. There's imperfections. And sometimes my prints show dips in little bumps kind of thing where this bed surface, I just love the idea of taking it off the printer folding it a little bit and having the print just pop right off. That's what I'm really looking forward to. Well, yeah, that's, that's the part we didn't even mention. I'm like, I'm sorry. We kind of failed to mention the whole point of it being removable is that it's super flexible. And then the additional thing is you can throw another sheet right on there and get going with the next one. Um, and then being that it's removed from the surface, it is now cooling down much faster as well. Yeah, that's the gimmick. Uh, the magnet, I basically, it's one sheet, but it basically can do two pieces. Now, when I buy the build service, they're in packs of three. So now I'm perfectly lined up to buy another sheet of magnet, cut that one in half. Now I have one piece of magnet on the bed and three pieces ready for my build surfaces. So they should be changeable without really much issue whatsoever. Um, I will say I did mention to the wife that ties for Christmas were fine, but I really would like either a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue or another printer for my birthday because, you know, either one would be good. I, uh, I, that's one thing with the Ender 2 I have come across. And um, those build sheets that you're talking about, Dor and Liam, are, are they fairly rigid? I mean, could they correct an issue with your build plate or would they just um, kind of go over it? Yeah. I, the middle of my build plate is a high spot and then it, tapers off to all four corners and I can't level that out. Even when I do go through and do a total leveling of the three adjustments I have, it's still tight in the middle. So on my first layer, I'm always getting a little mushed down in the middle of the, right in the middle of the build plate. Um, so I may have to look for a piece of glass or something uh, very rigid to, to put over it. Yeah, that's definitely where a sheet of glass would, would be your best friend. Um, I doubt you're able to on that uh, heated bed. But if you could flip over so that it's a dip in the middle, that's easier to correct. And then, of course, the um, no hardware fix is just print on rafts because the raft will take up the slop. Yeah, I've heard I've heard you say rafts in the in the um, in the Voxer. Is that something that's available on on Cura? Okay, I haven't looked. Uh, I haven't looked for that too close. Yeah, that that. From what I'm guessing what it does, if you want to describe a raft, I, I think I know what it is, but uh, it sounds like it would fix it. 
Yeah, I think a raft would fix your problem because what a raft does is it lay, lays down a bunch of layers before it even does the print, and then it prints on top of that. So it does add time to your printing, but if it's something where you're not getting good layer adhesion or you're getting a weird look in your print, that'll the weird look and the bad layer adhesion will be in the raft, not in your part. And, and the raft's fairly easy to remove from the bottom of the print. It may, it may it may enhance it, too, because then I won't have a bunch of glue uh, residue stuck to the bottom layer, too. Okay. it You've done anything with supports? It, it basically, it's like building a support. It, what they're basically doing is they lift the part up off there, a couple millimeters, and then fill that in with support, basically. And so you'll get little, little, little imperfections on that surface, but they're not too bad. They they do Cure does a pretty good job of it. As long as your printer's got good cooling or halfway decent cooling, you shouldn't have too many problems. Yeah, in um in um in um Cura under build plate a um a um a uh, adhesion where you select a skirt, you can change it from skirt to a raft. And here's how I'd explain it, Eric. When you print on your glass, that's where the imperfections can come, and that's where it's hard sometimes to take off that glass. When you build a raft on it, it's just putting a couple layers of filament down on that, and then your print is on top of the raft, which means all the imperfections get minimized every time it puts down another layer to that raft. So by the time your print starts printing, in my experience, to take the print off of the raft is dramatically easier than taking the print off of the bed. Of course, it depends on how thick your raft is, blah, 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 blah. But generally speaking, I was shocked at how I could just pick up the print and just bend the bottom plastic a little bit and it would pop right off of that raft. So I am I thought I'd never want to use a raft. It's a waste of filament. It's this, is that. No, 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 no. Now I am a genuine fan of a raft. Of course, depends on the print, but when it looks like it's the right choice, I will not hesitate now to print on a raft. Yeah, it takes up the slack. Um, it has a grid pattern. The at least in simplify the the base is super fat and it has lots of space between the 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 uh, parallel lines, so that the next layer that goes down has plenty of room to then fit in there. And then you build up on that, and then the final layers are at a hundred percent. So it's really like you're printing on a hundred percent. I I don't mind the finish. I I don't find that it's so much. Like it is with overhangs and supports, it's actually a lot cleaner, at least with mine anyways. I, I've never used Raft in Cura, though, so my experience is going to be a little bit different. And then it's generally easier to get the print off the Raft than it is to get the Raft off of the build surface. But it's worth trying, so at least yeah. you you know, you know have that in your repertoire. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'll say Cura def- by default, does a pretty good job of supports and raft as far as them coming off of the print. So you, whatever you print, you can pretty well get them off pretty easily. You don't have to dig too far into the settings to change up a bunch of stuff to make it easy to, to pull that support stuff off. Other softwares aren't that great, and you have to tweak them a little bit to get them to, to be super easy. Yeah, I'll definitely give that a try. I, you know, before I knew the 3D printer was coming, and um, I bought some panes of glass uh, at, a, at an estate sale, but they were only like four by six anyway, or five by seven, so they wouldn't have fit anyway. And then, then I got rid of them, and I'm like, oh, man, I should have kept those because I could at least, you know, if it was a small part, I may be able to like like 
door did binder clip it down or something like that. Very cool, very cool. Um, I don't have any other links in the notes, Jonas. I know you have at least a little bit more in the notes. Do you want to go over that at all? Um, I'll just do highlights. So, other than just the uh, the links for the you know trees and you know fun holiday stuff, um, there's a couple of notes there about cooling. And in your slicer, you probably have somewhere where you can have 100% cooling, or you can do kind of the programmed cooling where it'll turn it to anywhere between 35 and 100%, depending on what your print is doing at the time or, or how long it stays on a particular layer. And you can change those settings to say if it's taking 10 seconds to print this layer, go ahead and turn the fan on or vice versa. So that's something to look at if you're having trouble with your parts looking a little bit melted. Um, cooling definitely helps. Um, I know the Ender 2 only has one fan. I, there is a mod, though, that I could print that it's kind of a cover that directs part of that fan down towards the parts. I haven't printed that off yet. And I, to, go, to go back, one of the things that I, the first thing, one of the first things I printed off was a, uh, a little filament guide that, because I don't know, it just seemed weird that my filament was always rubbing up against the Z-axis screw. And I just thought, well, man, it could be contaminated with grease or something running across there. I just, so that the filament guide seemed like a natural. And uh, once I got my printer printing correctly, it, it, it's been really nice. And it actually, I think it helps guide it into the extruder a little bit too, because sometimes that can be a little tricky trying to run, run the filament into the, into the extruder. But yeah, I may, you know, I, I can't say that I've noticed a, an issue with uh, melting or, or heating issues yet that I can tell. So I may not need to. I think I, I'm, I don't know, it, it, it's a it's a cool looking part, you know, but I don't know if I need it yet. It helps more if you're doing something that's um, cone shaped or has a spire or some kind of point to the top. When things get super thin, um, you kind of need cooling because you're, printhead will stay in that spot going around and around and around and going up the z-axis just a tiny bit and around and around and around again and by that time it's a continuous hot temperature all that time oh that that makes a lot of sense yeah very cool james i also see you have uh a link in here to a tom philanderer video oh yeah the uh over the holidays they were doing the hang printer and so i think it's trimeric Trimeric or trimetric, I don't know, I have the link in the show notes there, but they basically took over the uh, the break room at the company where they make the uh, the little stepper motor driver boards that are being used, I think they're being used or something like them are being used in the new uh, Prusa machine where they don't use end stops, they, they measure the voltage of the stepper motor to figure out if it's having a hard time, it must be at the end of that X or Y or Z axis. So they took over their office and built a hang printer, which is a suspended hot end in a big room, and it will print a big giant whatever in kind of a cone shape in the middle of the room if you want. That is insanely awesome. So the head does all the moving. The X, the Y, and the Z, the bed's just sitting there, and it almost looks, I mean, this to me, I don't want to say Delta-ish, but the head is doing all of the movement. And you can print pretty damn big with this thing, it looks like. Yeah, the um, the limit is the height of your room and how wide your room is. So um, as the 
from what I understand, as the head moves up, you get a more narrower build area because what the way it works is it's suspended by wires. So the three axes or three axes are held firm, suspended by high tension fishing line, basically. And so you might not be able to see it too well in the video, but um, they do show it to you. They're using different kinds of line, and it's just a, a non-stretchy kind of fishing line. Um, you know, a high pound rate, so they can get it kind of firm, and that's what moves. So they they wind up or release, unwind these rolls of fishing line, and that's what moves the head left and right and up and down. That yeah, is awesome. Super cool. Um, they're using the same same kind of system that um, sailboats use, where you got a taut line and you're just trying to move it to one side or the other of the winch, basically. And yeah, it's, it's it's very much a hanging delta. Yeah, and and I'll say if you watch the very end of the video, right around one fifty two twenty five, you'll see it coming up to a single point, and how cooling could be an extreme issue because it looks like it is melting a little bit when it's on like the last four or five layers where it looks like it might be doing things it wasn't supposed to. Right, and they do not have a cooling a parts cooling fan on that machine the the fans on there are just to cool the uh the hot end that is an awesome freaking spectacle I, I would love to go to a place and just watch one of them print for a little bit yeah the guy that's there with tom is the inventor of that device and the one that they're building there i think they said it was the third version of that but it's you know it's all open source the parts are online they tell you how to figure out how long you need to make your arms to make the triangle for the print head and, and everything and what to do with your fishing line and all the parts are 3d printed so all those reels you can make yourself all the gearing you can make yourself the only thing you can't make yourself is the uh, stepper motor and the circuit board anybody gonna try that project yeah liam is yeah I, 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 warehouse. I did you guys see the ces any uh the the 5d printer they call it at ces where it's basically it's a it's a 3d printer but then it rotates the part um so it's basically you can print anything you want without ever using supports because then it just rotates that part of the part to the right um angle and then it starts printing again on like on the side of your of your already built piece yeah that thing is beautiful but the problem is software slicing getting the machine code oh my gosh that whoever comes up with the software for that they're not going to be giving that away. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because that's, that's a whole different dynamic. Have you guys ever talked before? Um, I, I I've kind of looked into it, but listening to to people talk about deltas, um, the difference between like the type of printer I have and what a delta is. Yeah, I have a delta. Um, what what's your question on it? I mean, well, they're... just kind of a, a generic description when when somebody says a delta printer because. The, the the 3d printer i have the the bed moves and then it's got um and a, a z-axis that moves the i think it's the x-axis or yeah x-axis up and down it's, yeah so with the your standard 3d printer like everybody else has got is what they call a cartesian printer so it runs your three axes um individually or they, you may have your X com connected to your Z, but it moves independently. And with a Delta printer, they're using a, well, I don't even know how to explain it, but they use these three cartridges 
so you run three motors same way but they move in line with each other to create on these arms to create the movement so it moves it's basically doing a heck of a lot of trig you know to keep it moving flat but the three cartridges are moving like these sets of arms that push around the printhead the only real good way to explain it is to have you watch a video of it because yeah. it's so difficult, but it's so cool to watch. Once you see the whoever figured out the kinamic is it kinamics or whatever it is to get that to work is a genius because that is just oh crazy how that works. And is there a major advantage um, that you get with the Delta over the over the other ones? Yeah, so like. The, the biggest advantage is if you're doing anything arcing, like in, so it moves really smoothly in around the, uh, there's, and there's no weight. All you have is an, the hot end on there. Your extruder, it's a Bowden tube system generally, and there's no weight. So it moves super fast. I can print super fast if I want, probably twice as fast as my, my ANET will for sure. And, Super fast, super good quality, um, smooth. In and when it when it changes directions, super smooth. There's not a lot of bouncing or anything. You don't get any artifacts. Very little artifacting from the movement. You know, like if you crank your printer up, you're gonna see um, basically inertia waves in your movement waves in your print sometimes. And with the Delta, you hardly ever see that. You just tend to run into your hot end doesn't keep up with it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Cool. The, on the deltas, the majority of the inertia that you would need to be dampening is along the Z-axis where they're traveling up and down. And then the other big advantage is the X and the Y and the Z all have the same mass to be moving. So, for instance, on your standard Cartesian, um, the bed, so the Y and the Z, or I mean the Y and the X are going to have different masses. So to get ringing tuned down, you're going to have different accelerations for each axis. Whereas on the uh, delta, it's moving the same amount of inertia regardless of which um, axis is being adjusted. And generally, all three motors are moving to make one move. To make it move anywhere, all three motors have to be moving. Because, it's, it, you know, one way may only be moving a little bit, but... The cartridges are all three of them are moving. So it's you don't have a standing still mass. Everything's moving. So you get really nice flow around corners or when it comes to a stop and goes, you know, corner stop, you know, corner stop. You don't get any bouncing, very little bouncing on it because there's everything's moving, you know. And you've got your third point of, con point of contact on the, uh, the head. You're not just having left, right, or up, down, or forward, back. You have all three points holding it still. Yeah, thank good points, man. Thanks. I don't know if I'd ever buy another one. I, there is certain things about it I don't like, but to have one is kind of cool, you know. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I will say curves. If you print a, a cylinder, what I picture is on our printers that we have, Eric, with the hard X, hard Y, hard Z. To do a curve, it's much more calculations because as it slows down, moving to the X that's a speed up moving to the Y and unless everything's perfectly in tune you're going to get a little bit of 
inconsistencies, the way I put it, especially with speed. With speed is when you will see issues like that, where with the Delta, curves are what it's meant to do almost. It like it like it's like built to do columns or vases kind of thing. Yeah, I've done the same parts on both printers and I can run the Delta twice as fast almost and get half the the little wobbly or ringing or anything like that. But so for quality of prints it's great, but getting it set up as Delta sir, getting it dialed in perfectly is a trick. That is a trick. Well, and I compare it to almost like um, um, uh, running Linux on a computer. Chad got a 3D printer where it didn't come pre-installed with any Linux on it. And he had to sit there and fist fight the damn thing for weeks to find all the little settings to get everything working correctly on it. Now that he has it, all that figured out, it's much better. If So if you buy a Delta that's more supported, I'm sure the time to be up and running would be much less. But it's just like anything else. The the one thing I hate saying on this show, but it's the honest to God truth, almost every question is answered with, well, it depends. And the real thing is, what are you trying to print? If you really want to focus hard on printing this one type of thing, a Delta might be the correct printer to get. But it, it's one of those things. It all depends on what your primary printing stuff is. If you want to print little figurines and little cubes kind of thing, the normal standard printer is probably just fine. Well, actually, like on my Delta, the smaller the part, the better it turns out because you're getting that center of mass in the middle. And once it starts getting out towards the edges, it starts falling off on quality. So the bigger the part in that circle, you start losing quality on it. Um, I've noticed that I keep it about half the bed size and I make perfect parts. I get outside that and it start losing it it gets at its maximum range you start getting imperfections and wobbling and stuff so if you keep small parts perfect big parts eh i'll use my a net for the big parts well that makes sense because you're getting more movement at the outer side from the same amount of twist on your stepper motors and they're they're only accurate so far and then you start losing torque it's that and the articulation of the arms. Once you start getting out to its outside maximum movement, the articulation on the arms triangulates uh, weight differently on the arms. It becomes kind of pressure on pressure, and it gets really weird on the outside edges. And that may be just my printer. I don't know. It may be the, the subpar... Um, rods they've got six rods two rods for each cartridge that go to the hot end and as they get extended out from center you get more and more problems i i've noticed gotcha gotcha um were there any other links that you wanted to uh bring up anybody i just got a couple of iot things i've been um messing with these sonoff switches and I found a guy on YouTube, um, superhouse.tv. If you just look on YouTube for Superhouse, you'll find him. And he's actually gone to the Sonoff factory in China. I think he's Australian. And they run through the whole process from beginning to end of, you know, putting parts on the circuit board to, you know, wiping them down with a, a cloth with gloved hands before they put them in the box to ship off to Amazon or wherever. That was pretty interesting. 
Okay, really quick. He's not saying Sonos, like the home audio high-end system. Sonos off. Yeah, S-O-N-O-F-F. And this is what, at least what I'm seeing is like a basic Wi-Fi switch. Correct. What it actually is, is it's a little circuit board. It's Chinese-made. Um, total Shenzhen product. And it's an ESP8266 um, little module in there. So it's the... the what is it, Espressive Wi-Fi module um, with a little firmware on there so that it connects to the uh, the Sonoff company's uh, server so that you can turn on your lights over the internet. However, if you take a look at the Superhouse TV guy, he shows you, number one, how to completely weatherproof a Sonoff switch so you can, you know, dunk it underwater if you really wanted to. Um, all the way to actually reflashing them with your own firmware. And there's about three or four um, tested um, open source on GitHub firmwares that you can use with these things because they're, they're just ESP 8266s. So you can flash those with you know Arduino if you wanted to and just play with it that way. Huh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've used so, quite a few of these and they're really nice. Um, I've used them with my uh, home assistants and that home assistant software and they are really nice units i use them quite quite a bit yeah one of the nice things about it is if you flash it with your own firmware you don't have to have it call back to china to do your iot stuff you can have it do iot through your own server at home so you can set up a raspberry pi with uh open hab or what was the other one you mentioned chad home assistant home assistant yeah i think uh Flying Rich is using that one as well. And then Flying Rich, um, also, if you check out his channel, he's got a couple of uh, examples of he's using a, I think it's a 433 megahertz little circuit board connected to the Raspberry Pi. Yep. And that will also connect to other things that are not Sonoff, I believe. Yes. So other low-cost IoT-type things that just take that frequency, he can connect to those and control them with his home automation system. Um, just through Raspberry Pi, you know, web interface as well. Yeah, and uh, the one thing I'll say is, uh, Rich did talk uh, semi in depth about his uh, 433 setup on the um, mini mini PC show. Um, that's it. That's it. And but the one thing I'll say that we keep saying over and over again on that show, and I think there's truth to it, but it depends on how much you want to take it. And the the truth is. If you don't have root on your device, that means everybody else on the planet can get root on your device and you won't even know it. So if you don't flash the firmware on these devices and you use them the way they come from the factory and you don't have manual fine grain control over these things, somebody else does. Now, security, we, we need an extra word besides just security because what it really is in the modern era of IT is trust. Who do you trust? Uh, people have Google Homes. People have Amazon Alexas, blah, 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 blah. You don't have root on it, which means somebody else does. Um, are you okay with that? And really comes down to, do you want to be a administrator of the devices or not? A lot of people don't want that pain. They don't want that discomfort because it is work. But with these kind of little devices, I love the idea of flashing them firmware because then you have fine grain controller, everything going in and out of that board, and you can monitor it and, and verify it. 
Um, and they and these boards are not expensive. I love the fact that they're little ESPs. ESPs seem to me that they seem to be the most affordable yet the most flexible boards I've seen on the market. What you can't do with these is um, like it's hard to find because you can do almost anything. Yeah, the current new one is the ESP32, and that's the new hot one. It's you know faster processor, more memory, et cetera, et cetera. But the Sonoff is the the old 8266. The other, there's two other really cool things about these things is because they're based on that system, you can actually go on uh, eBay and pick up multi megabyte um, or megabit memory chips for these, and you can just you'd have to uh, probably get a better soldering iron, but you can unsolder the memory chip that's on there, solder in the next bigger memory chip. And when you flash them with your own firmware, you have the IoT capability, but you also have the ESP8266 um, basically mini Linux availability. It's not really Linux, but um, you can run a web server on it. You can um, yeah, and like you can the, get um... access to additional um, GPIO pins. So. Sonoff also has a, another module that's $25. It switches one thing, and it also adds temperature and humidity sensing. So that's $25. But you could do the same thing with a $5 one if you flash it and add a couple of pins to it. You can plug in your own temperature and humidity sensor, which you'd have to buy additional even if you bought the $25 one. So you, you buy the $25 Sonoff with the capability of temperature humidity sensing and you have to buy another little dongle thing to plug in the side that actually does the measuring. So you could do all of that with the $5 one um, and you know buy the other you know four or $5 temperature humidity sensing thing and plug that into it with your own firmware and get the same capability. So it's super configurable. You can you know increase the memory, have it move, do more stuff or just make it super simple and you know waterproof it and you know, throw it in your pool if you want. Really super flexible for not a lot of money if, if you, you know, have an Arduino and know how to use it. Yeah, I've done most of that except for the waterproofing. I've done the added on so you get the sensor and it tells you the heat, humidity. It'll turn on things if it humidity or whatever you can set it. So it'll turn on, shut off at certain temperatures or whatever, you know. It's basically all kinds of programming you can do with it. It's super cool. And yeah, with adding that memory chip too, is it makes it so you can reflash it over Wi-Fi. That's the other thing. Yeah. It's over the air update once you get uh, enough memory in it. Very cool. Yeah, that's it. Links are in the show notes for those good things. Very cool. Thank you very much for the links. Um, and Chad, just really quick, do you want to mention anything about these uh, filaments that you're testing? Because I will say upfront, we are Zealtech fanboys for the most part, and what I mean is. Nobody's perfect. Once in a while, everyone puts out bad stuff. And once in a while, we get filament that isn't up to what we consider to be our standard. So Chad went out and tried at least some other filaments on the market. Yeah, I tried uh, a couple different brands. I put the ones that I've actually tested in the link in the notes, um, and they're great. They're as good, if not better, than Zealtech. They're the I think one of them. I think. The one comes from the same company makes it. I you know the same Chinese manufacturer probably makes it. It's the same same roll, same consistency, same quality. Um, 
same colors, I think, too. I mean, pretty much. Um, the other one um, was a different company, but really good filament. Um, just a horrible spool that it sits on. I, the spool leaves a lot to be desired, but the filament is great. I've been using it now about a about a third of the way through the roll, and not a single problem. Layer adhesion's great. Strength is great. I for the price, I think they're both under sixteen dollars delivered. I mean, so that was my thing. I'm trying to find something that's you know the same quality but a little different color variation than the uh the zeal tech they're they're kind of getting stagnant their colors are the same thing you know i know they're trying and right. it well, takes time he, he, real quick question because i didn't notice this before chad i'm just noticing right now on the one from amazon digi struct the one with the horrible spool <clears throat> looking at the third picture down they do that on purpose to allow you to do custom inserts in because the hole in the middle of the spool is gi frigging gigantic and they intend you to have different inserts if you want a 54 millimeter 40 30 or 22 millimeter insert to stick inside that giant chasm in the middle of the spool uh, which i think i guess it, it, it's cool of them to do that but i don't want that feature um yeah okay call it a feature i mean We'll call it a feature for that. That isn't my biggest problem with it. I could care less about that. For you guys that run your filament uh, holders with the bearings that the, the the outside of the roll rolls on, you can't use this with this filament with this roll. You just can't do it. Um, the filament when it comes from the factory, it is almost exceeding the wall of the spool. It's it's so. There is no extra bearing riding. I suppose you could unspool a little bit and you could use it, you know, whatever. But that kind of defeats the whole purpose, you know. But, like, I side my side mounted it. It mounts fine, fine on my Delta, sits on there fine. I don't have a problem with that. But as I was, uh, until I got, you know, the first five, six layers off it completely, it un wanted to unbind and get stuck under the fill under the spool. I had problems with that. I had to babysit it. I had to actually put a prop to hold the filament up so that it wouldn't fall out. And it's a bad design. Most of the time when you get filament, there's you know, almost a half inch of uh, spool past where the filament is, you know. And this stuff is just right up there. It's just, it's a, you know, the inside, yeah. Call it a feature, I guess. I don't know. but Yeah, I didn't even pick up on the outer edge being so minimal on it. And the strength of uh, the wall on the spool is really bad. It's floppy. It, it, it feels like it's going to break every time you touch it, especially now that I'm starting to use some of the film and I went and grab it. It just feels like cheap acrylic. Like it, It's not acrylic either. It's like a cheap plastic, clear plastic that's just ready to crack and break. But the filament is awesome on it. I, I mean, actually, the color, the green that I got to do these little pod nuts uh, maker coins that I'm testing, trying to get a good design on, it's great. I love the shininess, and it's almost transparent, but it's not transparent. It's a really nice color, but the spool is horrible. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And uh, you link to another one off of eBay. Um, 
I'll say this. The colors of these, at least in the pictures, look dramatic. It looks really nice. I like and those transparent PLAs. Well, I got the transparent red and the uh, and the solid green, and they are really nice. Um, the colors are nice, rich colors. They're consistent through so far. I haven't used a lot of them, but they are a really nice color. It's the same spool as the Zealtex spool. Um, I really like that that brand too i will be more ordering more of that um but i mean zealtech ain't the only thing out there but it is consistent and liam's had some problems with zealtech on but we, we're not quite sure if that was just a cooling issue or something he was having going on but i've never had a problem with zealtech i'm not cutting on zealtech i just want to try some you know try some of these other companies out there you know give them a shot oh it's always good to have a uh backup source because i mean right, you know once in a while you want this one color you get a zealtech they say sold out or their prices have been going up too um as there's you know so i i don't think they could ever unless they change their filament or something i don't think they're making a premium filament like it's so much better it's not like a pla plus from eson or something you know but their prices are starting to go up you know so unless you buy you know, 15 rolls, you know, the prices are seeming to go up, you know. So that's why I'm kind of just going out there checking. And I wanted a certain color, you know, and some different transparency colors. I like the transparency uh, filament, so. Very cool, very cool. Uh, anyone have any other topics you want to bring up for the show? Okay, uh, I want to thank everyone for downloading. Thank everyone for the support. If you want to, do not forget, you can go to... Uh, patreon.com slash the makers if you want to support us directly uh and if you want to send us a voicemail again it is uh 410-707-PODNUTS uh, if you would like to send us a email it is at the makers at podnuts.com uh you can find all the content available over at podnuts.com p-o-d-n-u-t-z.com uh, and do not forget, if you want to join us on the show, just let me know and we will get you the uh, connection information and see how your audio sounds. And with that, uh, we will hopefully talk to everyone again in about a week.